A.W. Pink on a new birth. To how many in Christendom do these solemn words apply? For he flatters himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. Psalm 36 verse 2. The principal device of Satan is to deceive people into imagining that they can successfully combine the world with God, allow the flesh while pretending to the spirit, and thus make the best of both worlds. But Christ has emphatically declared that no man can serve two masters. Many mistake the force of those searching words. The true emphasis is not upon two, but upon serve. None can serve two masters, and God requires to be served, fears, submitted to, obeyed. His will regulating the life and all of its details. You will worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Welcome to the Bud Zone Podcast. I'm Bud, your host. The Bud Zone Podcast is for, from, and by saints, our buds in the faith. To edify one another in the faith and to encourage one another to love and good works. We discuss the world, we discuss the church, we discuss the faith. We discuss truth, and we do it with the mind of Christ. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this week's Bud Zone podcast. I really appreciate you listening. I want to start today's episode with a few quotes, maybe more than a few, but I think it'll sort of set the tone for the conversation that we're going to have today. Here are the quotes. First, quote, One day, our knowledge will be so vast and our technology so advanced that we shall distill the elixir of eternal youth, the elixir of true happiness, and any other drug we might possibly desire, and no God will stop us, end quote. Here's the next one, quote, we don't have to wait till Christ's second coming in order to overcome death. A couple of geeks in a laboratory can do it if you give them enough time and money, end quote. Here's a pithy one. Quote, now we are much better than the God of the Bible, end quote. Now, here's a little longer one. Quote, we even go beyond God. Even if you believe in the Bible, the only thing the God of the Bible managed to create is organic beings. Now, we try to go beyond the God of the Bible and create inorganic life, something he never managed to do, either according to the Bible or according to biology. For four billion years, all of life was organic, and now we want to create inorganic life. Divinity is not far enough to describe what we are trying to do, end quote. Quote, I think the most interesting place today from a religious perspective is Silicon Valley. My bet is this is where the new religions of the 21st century are being created, will be created. And these will be kind of techno-religions, religions based on technology, religions that make all the old promises of Christianity and Judaism and Hinduism and so forth. They will also make promises of happiness and prosperity and justice and even eternal life. But here on earth, with the help of technology, not after we die, with the help of superhuman beings. 
And in a way, I would say that we've already seen the first big techno-religion in history in the previous century, and this was socialism, end quote. Quote, God seems to be making a comeback, but this is a mirage. God is dead. It just takes a while to get rid of the body, end quote. Quote, we are in the process of acquiring divine abilities of turning ourselves into God's. I mean this in the most literal sense possible. It is not a metaphor. We are gaining the power to create life just like God. And then the last one, quote, very soon we will be beyond the God of the Bible, end quote. Now, some of those quotes come either directly from the book called Homo Deus by Yuval Noah Harari or from some interviews he gave on the promotional tour for that book. My guest today is the guy who encouraged me to read this book, which I did, and it is quite a stunner in sort of a really nefarious way. So today, <laughs> Pastor Tony Hicks, who has been on the Bud Zone a couple of times before, joins me, and we're going to discuss the topic of transhumanism. Tony, thank you, brother. Thank you, Bud, for having me on. Well, how have you been? Before we get into the topic at hand, how are things going? You're post-SBC convention. You got all that stuff going on there. Uh, but you stay out I'm, of the fray I'm doing, there. I'm doing well. I'm um, enjoying life. It's been a really busy summer. I did not go to the Southern Baptist Convention, but uh, a little too far away from me. But uh, but it's been a quite busy summer. We have two sons that are about to go off to college, so we're about to have the empty nest well, that is both a burden and a blessing, I'm sure. So <laughs> We will find out. <laughs> well, this whole issue of, of transhumanism, you and I have been corresponding text, phone calls, whatever, probably for the better part of a year. I knew that you were keen on this issue. I'm not sure what really provoked you into it. Um, and But we started talking, and you know, it, at some point a couple months ago, we're like, we need to do a podcast on this and discuss the implications and the sort of Leviathan-like reality that this whole issue represents. And then, you know, speak to it from a Christian standpoint. How do we, how do we look at it? How do we view it? How do we respond? So before we started, you sort of sent me an outline of how you wanted to discuss Mm -hmm. this. So today it's really the Tony zone. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but you, we're going to talk about transhumanism, the definition, some quotes about it, the forms it takes, theological and philosophical trajectory of, of it. Is it a leveler of society in a new feudalism sort of way? The issue of Christian transhumanism and then sort of a biblical evaluation and response. So I'm going to turn it over to you. I'll be here if you need me. And uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to your wisdom. You're my transhuman transhumanism expert just saying so you know. oh, oh well <laughs> well I, I hope you you um, really strongly interact because I know you've been reading on the subject also and a couple of those quotes I had not heard although some of them I had well the the thing that really got me interested in the whole subject of transhumanism was actually watching Steve Bannon he had uh, a an episode uh, about the issue and had several people talking about it. And it um, it clued me into the Homo Deus book and then some other books that really uh, got me interested in this subject. But really, my first introduction to what we would now call transhumanism was science fiction. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's been an old science fiction idea of joining humans with technology in some way. Yeah. You know, we all remember back uh, the six million dollar man, you know, in the for those of us who are older, our kids would not even know what that is. But uh, the six million dollar man where he was, uh, you know, had the, the bad plane accident and they we can build him back better. It was kind of build back better <laughs> in the 70s. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And so and even that was built on uh, a novel that had been written a few years earlier. So it's been an old science fiction thing. And it's really kind of if you read sci fi, which I do occasionally, it's kind of grown and. What you really find out is a lot of the science fiction authors are kind of clued into what the thinkers are saying, and then they kind of extrapolate it and move Mm -hmm. forward Mm -hmm. with it. But um, what is transhumanism? Well, first of all, the, the, the term transhumanism was coined by T.H. Huxley, the brother of Aldous Huxley. He was a noted evolutionist, and he quoted, he uh, coined the term transhumanist in a 1957 essay. So it's the term has been around for a little while. But I have a I would say a quick definition by me. I came up with my own personal definition of okay. what transhumanism is based upon the reading. It says and here's my definition. Transhumanism is the belief that with the aid of increasingly sophisticated technology that will join with and interface with human beings We will radically transform human beings in the eyes of some, even to the point where we will achieve a new step of evolution so as to be a different species. It includes a radical decrease in human mortality, even to the point of the elimination of death. It also includes a tremendous increase in human capabilities, both mentally and physically. Now, that's my quote. Well, that's uh, that's a lot. And it. You know, as we've talked about this, this this covers all sorts of disciplines. So you're yes. um, you're not merely dealing with what the six million dollar man was faced with. You know, he loses an arm. Yeah. We'll give him a bionic arm, and and mm-hmm. so a prosthetic that's more powerful than even the ones we we see now. This certainly deals with biology. It certainly deals with philosophy. It certainly deals with, I mean, every conceivable discipline of life so i like your i like your quote i found a couple of of uh, quotes um mm-hmm. obviously what i read from harari sort of summarizes he's really like a prophet for transhumanism he's not really involved in the development but he's out there advocating for what this worldview <laughs> what this worldview represents but here's one uh, another advocate named max moore Max Moore said transhumanism is a class of philosophies of life that see the continuation and acceleration of the evolution of intelligent life beyond its currently human form and human limitations by means of science and technology guided by life-promoting principles and values. Largely what you've uh, summarized. And then let me toss this one out there. This is from a podcast that you and I both listened to recently, but this man who was allegedly a, a theologian said that transhumanism is a is an intellectual and cultural movement using science and technology to radically enhance human beings. We're talking about eliminating aging in the human species, 
um, through what he refers to as human enhancement. So the implications are massive from uh, just an Imago Day standpoint, whether or not you're a believer. But Well, and we need to understand there's a difference between, I mean, he uses the term in human enhancement. Uh, there's a difference between just something that we would call enhancing a human ability and transhumanism. Now, he's really thinking transhumanism, yeah, so yeah. I, I'm not. But, for example, I'm wearing eyeglasses. That's a human enhancement to help me with my weaker eyes, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, me too when I need to put them on to read, but that's not transhumanism. No, no, no. That's not transhumanism. But, you know, we've uh, there's all throughout human history, there's been an increase in technology that enhances our ability to do things. So let's let's just say that. I mean, hearing aids. Now we have cochlear implants mm-hmm. and things such as that. And those are enhancements that technology has allowed. Uh, I have a stent in my heart, which is an enhancement that allows me to continue living. Yeah. But it is not. It, it is just a it is something of medical technology that allows me that has helped us but it's not transhumanism in fact if you look at in in harari's book he made the statement and i don't have the quote i wish i had had the quote but he was talking about how yes we live longer today than people did 100 years ago or 500 years ago but he said that is due to better medical technology, and it's due to better sanitation. And he's exactly right. He said, we have not improved the human species. In fact, you go back to King David lived to be 70 years old. People lived to be old. It's just the problem within the ancient world with all the ways you could die where, you know, people died young. So they, when they say the average age of death was 40 years old, that didn't mean no one was living to be old. It meant that people were dying young. Yeah. And the average out was that. So so that's what Harari says. He says, we have not improved the species. We are no different than we were thousands of years ago. We just have better technology. And he's exactly right. We're the same. And so he's saying we there's another step we can take. And I'm going to give you a quote from Harari that he gave at the 2018 World Economic Forum. Now, for those who may not know, that's the Davos Forum. That's where the movers and shakers of the world are going now. Mm-hmm. This is Klaus Schwab's uh, baby, and everybody is there, and everybody's on board with this. I mean, the leaders of the world, and you you, you put your finger on any leader in the world, Marcon, any of these people, they're there, are they part of this. But here's yeah. this quote. I want to talk to you today about the future of our species and really about the future of life. We are probably one of the last iterations of Homo sapiens. Within a century or two, Earth will be dominated by entities who are more different from us than we are different from Neanderthals or from chimpanzees. Because in the coming generation, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. These will be the main products of the economy of the 21st century of the 21st century economy. Not textiles and vehicles and weapons, but bodies, brains, and minds. So he says, we are one of the last of Homo sapiens. We're about to go to Homo Deus or something on the way to Homo Deus, which to to explain the terms of Homo sapiens 
means wise man or knowledgeable man, mm -hmm, I guess, right. as opposed to homo habilis and all these other, if you buy into the evolutionary framework. But homo deus means God man. Yeah. But not Christ God man. Oh, no, 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 no. You no, as God man, me as we, God man. You and, yeah. you and I, we will be as gods. It sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I, it, like a serpent or something. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, it's. Uh, they're looking at something different. Transhumanism is about becoming a new species through all the technology. And now, a lot of people get bemused by this. You know, most people hear us talking about this and they've not heard anything. They're like, well, that's crazy. Well, we want you to know that they're deadly serious about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The people who are pushing this are really serious about it. They believe it. Uh, they are actively working toward this, at least to the extent that they think they can. And they have tremendous amounts of money that they are spending in hopes of bringing this about. I heard um, in this, I think it was on Steve Bannon's uh, broadcast, he had Andrew, I think it's Andrew Torba. He's the founder of Gab. Gab, yeah. <laughs> and he he's talked about as a Christian, he said, I used to be in Silicon Valley. And he said, these people have more money than they know what to do with. They're, they don't fear anything but death, but death scares them to death, you know. So you have a lot of Silicon Valley people that have just unlimited amounts of money. Yeah. You know, Tesla, you know, Tesla's become kind of a baby. I'm kind of a uh, darling of conservatives lately just because he's pushed back. But he's not a conservative. Oh, Musk, no. <laughs> No. So Musk let, let me, <laughs> yeah. So let me, yeah. before we go there, let me ask you something then. If, if we're summarizing what transhumanism is, and it's not merely like you having a heart stent or us right. wearing glasses that are not changing the essence of our humanity, they're not altering mm -hmm. us in a way that we lose our identity as, as human beings. Right. Transhumanism really is talking about that. It is, it is talking about really, um, a Darwinian materialistic humanism mm -hmm. that leads us to be new, a new life form augmented replaced really by, by technology. So it's not just the artificial limbs. It's not just prosthetics. It's not just, um, using medicine as a means to, to heal and, and facilitate <laughs> correcting the ills that we have as a, as a result of, of aging and all that. So that's one statement. The other thing is, do you see in this the real impetus behind it is this desire to conquer death? I mean, death is the driving instrument behind the trans transhumanism movement. Uh, it is a driving thing. They want to. Yeah, I would say possibly because death is like the term. It, that's the end of everything, you know, at least yeah. from their standpoint. You know, uh, they don't have any transcendent view of humanity. They uh, don't believe in God. They don't believe in anything other than us. So therefore death is the end. So yes, I would say that's true. Uh, they look at it in a more encompassing manner though, and that we are improving the species. We are evolving to something uh, different. Now, as I said, this idea of becoming a new species. Now, as you and I both know, one of the major thinkers or I want to say Godfather, it sounds a little, but, but one of the major thinkers in this area is Ray Kurzweil. Yes, right. Another book that and, you made me read. 
Uh, well, his book, The Singularity, is near. Is that the one you have? Yeah, I have it right here in front of me. I mean, this is a 700-page. Uh, yeah, is, it's a tome. Yeah. And it's it's very detailed. I'll tell you, reading Kurzweil, the, the man is brilliant. Oh, yeah. Oh. And he is brilliant, and the uh, amount of detail in variety of disciplines that he could speak to is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, he comes from an absolute humanistic, evolutionary, materialistic paradigm that, you know, there's nothing but humanity. But, but he has this term he uses called the singularity. And it actually, I don't know if it was coined by him, but he's the one that really brought it to the fore. And it shows up in a lot of their literature. And if you read much of the literature, you'll start seeing this term, the singularity. Mm -hmm. And the singularity is ha is all about reaching that point. You know, his book is called The Singularity is Near. Now, that book was written in 2005, so it's not a brand new book. Uh, it's 17 years old. Mm -hmm. But it is still, the issues are still current. His timeline is not current, that he thought things would happen. But the issues are still current, and so I think it's still a valuable book to read to understand at least how people are thinking. But this is singularity. Um, well, let me give you a quote from him out of his book. Page seven of The Singularity is Near. What then is the singularity? It is, it's a future period during which the pace of technological change will be so rapid, its impact so deep, that human life will be irreversibly transformed. Now, what he's really looking at is saying that we get when we get to the point where technological capabilities exceed human capabilities, then we're at the singularity, where technology now has gone beyond humanity. And now He's going to, I'll talk about three in a few minutes about the three forms that he sees this taking place. And so a lot of it is once we get to that point, and we're also talking about not just we're human and then we get to that point, and there's intermediate steps in which we're going to have more and more technology interfacing with our bodies to aid us. Yeah. But once right. we get to that point of the singularity where that technology is more capable than our human nature is, then we just take off, in other words. Yeah. Well, I'll, let me just interject. The, the title of his book, The Singularity is Near, the subtitle is When Humans Transcend Biology. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the direction uh, and the ambition of this whole worldview. Well, let me give you a few quotes from it about this. From, this is from Kurzweil's book. The singularity will allow us to overcome age-old human problems and vastly amplify human creativity. We will preserve and enhance the intelligence that evolution has bestowed on us while overcoming the profound limitations of biological evolution. But the singularity will also amplify the ability to act on our destructive inclinations so that its full story has not yet been written. Uh, he goes on to another, just to show you kind of the conceit and that these people have, he quotes a guy named of Hans um, Moravik. Hans Moravik points out, however, that no matter how successfully we fine-tune our DNA-based biology, humans will remain second-class robots, meaning 
thing that biology will never be able to match what we will be able to engineer once we fully understand biology's principles of operation. Mm. That's so, so encouraging. <laughs> I'm sorry? Uh, this is so encouraging. <laughs> well, it, it's just colossal conceit. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the colossal conceit, but you read these things. I mean, Harari is writing 10 years after the singularity is near. So Harari, yeah, he's got some really bad quotes too, but Kurzweil, Kurzweil is, is a lot of his is couched in very technical language. And he's a very technical guy, but he also gets into philosophy and he talks about theology and things like that. And he's talk well about it, but, uh, but uh, so he's a, well, uh, and, and, Folks guy. need to know he's, you know, he's backed by Google. He's employed by yes. Google. So you yes. were mentioning earlier Silicon Valley and all the wealth, it, t- tunes of billions upon billions of dollars yes. worth of resources being poured into this globally. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, he's one of the one of the guys out there. Uh, Harari, you know, being another one with Schwab and the WEF. You mentioned Musk and Tesla. You know, Musk's Neuralink Corporation is actively pursuing these uh, mm-hmm. cranial implants. Now, well, I guess there's the slathering of nobility across that because they're saying this is going to help with uh, Parkinson's. It's going to help with, and, mm-hmm. and, okay, so maybe that that's there. But guys like Kurzweil and, and Harari and some of these other men, they see that technology as what you were talking about, the next step to move us even further down the road towards that humanity transcending biology. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, in terms of Parkinson's, there, there have been probes that they put in the human brain, even that's been around for quite a while. They put these probes to reach into the brain and they can stimulate the brain in terms of helping people. Uh, I've, known some people that talked about that yeah. uh, in terms of the cochlear implants they've been around i mean kurtzwild writing in 2005 mentions those but but they are still even the cochlear implant is u- utilizing the nerve of the cochlea to translate the signals so it's still nobody's interfacing with the brain here <laughs> yeah well you know one of the things that musk um and i, I don't have it quoted in front of me but i was listening to a video and which he was on musk says you know essentially with the ability that we have with manipulating gene editing crispr technology mm-hmm. i think is what mm-hmm. he's referring to that right. he, he makes the comment you know you, you can pretty much make a, a butterfly out of a person if you want to we, you know we're moving in that direction you you have the ability to manipulate dna to to mm-hmm drastically change what a human is yes and and the the colossal conceit because to them humanity is just a biological machine we're no different than a robot we are we have algorithms and once they can figure out the algorithm that they can make it better it's like maybe reverse engineering a computer from china and you say, okay, we found out what what how they work this. Let's improve it. And so that's the way they look at it. We are just uh, there's nothing about us that is unique. We're just machines that have to be decoded, that yeah. have to be reverse engineered. Uh, now we as Christians, I will reserve some of that for the end of this talk. But uh, 
we don't see things that way. No. And uh, so, we'll re- but but let me let me talk about the since we, you talked about genetics and all of this. How about we talk about the forms? Uh, Kurzweil doesn't really use much, if any, doesn't use the word transhumanist very much. But he's talking about that. Yeah. So let's talk about the forms that he talks about. Is that okay? Yeah, please. He identifies in his book three forms of enhancement that are leading to the singularity. And uh, it is genetics, nanotechnology, and robotics. And you will see his term, uh, the acronym GNR, throughout Mm -hmm. his book. After he introduces it, then you just keep seeing GNR, GNR. Well, let's explain those. Genetics is the, he says, is is the intersection between information and biology. That's his definition. Nanotechnology is the intersection between information and the physical world. And robotics is strong AI. Now, the term strong AI is, is as a definition of itself. It means artificial intelligence that exceeds human intelligence. Mm-hmm. So when he says robotics, he's not just talking about a bionic arm or something like that, or even a bionic body. He's talking about the whole gamut of robotic or computer enhancements, uh, artificial intelligence, and all of these things. Just interrupt real quick. On that point, I see, I mean, almost weekly, sometimes it seems like daily, articles from around the world talking about they have created what they believe is a sentient AI, that it's self-aware, that it is self-conscious. That's what Kurzweil is speaking to there. Well, in fact, that was a few weeks ago, wasn't it Google or some, was it Google that yeah. said we have now a self-aware AI, Yeah. They, at least their claim was, and, you know, and, and in their idea, we're just machines and okay, we've made a better machine. That's their idea. They don't have any idea of the image of God. They don't no. even have any idea of God or anything. It's just that. It, it is the, we'll talk about this in the theology, but it is the enlightenment and materialism brought to his ultimate conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. Man, for, you've got to start from the premise that man is just an animal. And that's what, yes. you know, for generations now has been taught right. in our schools. Our kids are learning it if they're in public schools. And, and we tend to think in that sort of secular dimension, you know, man's just an animal. We're like all the other animals. Now, Christians, we know that's not the case uh right but their starting point is that so yes well let's talk just briefly about those forms and you could talk a long time if you knew a lot about each of these gnr forms well go ahead genetics go ahead i'll sit here i got a couple of diet cokes i'm ready to go (laughs) well genetics first of all uh the manipulation of our dna now as of, I don't know, six, seven years ago, we now have this CRISPR technology, and that's an acronym itself, mm-hmm. C-R-I-S-P-R, and there's a long definition of what it is, but it's the ability to edit our code. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a book here, uh, it's another good book uh, called A Crack in Creation by Jennifer Dudna, and she is the one who won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry for her work in that field. Mm. And her, she and her, uh, I think it's her, it's not her lab assistant because he's a PhD too, but he did all the writing, but it's her who wrote the book. And she's, 
I mean, she's on the ground floor of this, and it's an it's an interesting book, and she's actually very humble about it and realizes the danger of it because in some of this, I mean, you can edit you can edit the cells of the body called the somatic or the body cells, and you can help someone that maybe has a congenital disease. But if you edit what's called the germline cells, uh, sperm or egg, you change their descendants. Mm -hmm. Right. And so she acknowledges that this has a lot of potential, but also a lot of um, downside. It could be abused. But she kind of at the end of the book, she says, I think the genie's out of the bottle. I don't know if that was our actual quote, but that's basically what she thinks. Mm. And she wrote this book around 2015 also, 2017, I believe, uh, 2017. And so that technology is amazing. Now, Kurzweil, uh, when he writes about it in two, 2005 about it, he sees the direction. I mean, they they didn't just all of a sudden have this. It it built over years. And he saw it. He said, we're more further ahead on genetic end of this than we are the nanotechnology and the robotics. Mm -hmm. And so, but it's interesting, a, a mutual friend of ours, just to show you the idea of what the way people are thinking, uh, a mutual friend of ours, I won't mention it because I don't want to get it traced back to his cousin and anything like that, but he has a cousin that's in this CRISPR field. Oh. And who's a real believer in it, not in God, but in, in it, and told him, said, we are now able to take charge of our own evolution. Uh, you know, in other words, this, this undirected chance evolution that we that produced us today, but now we can take charge of it and direct it. And that's the idea behind it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to help. Our, we're going to become a better we're going to make ourselves into better people by editing out things that are bad and, and, ed and changing things to make us good. Of course, there's a lot of conceit in that, that they assume that they really understand what they're doing. And uh, I, I saw one thing where they were, where in, it was in China or somewhere, they were trying to edit to make the mouse, a mouse have something I forgot what it was. Uh, they were editing one thing and they ended up growing extraordinarily long tongues. So they didn't really know what they were doing. They thought they were doing something. And so, uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot of well, I'm glad danger in this. Yeah, there's a lot of ethical implications. I'm glad that, first of all, thank you for not telling me I need to read that book because I'm not familiar with the one that you just mentioned. So. <laughs> Every time a every time a package here lately shows up at the house, it's like my wife is that your friend Tony sending telling you. <laughs> well, no, not this time. But anyway, one of the well, I guess I shouldn't tell you about a planet of three billion. Oh well, you know, I, I, I'm already I'm knee deep into it now, so we'll just continue. But um, I appreciate what you said about that author and her research and her recognition mm -hmm. that there is mm -hmm. an ethical dimension to this now i will say as i read harari's book um and even i've read schwab um a couple of his books which is not necessarily uh, only about transhumanism that's just mm -hmm. one dimension of w really an application that he's much broader with but um one of the things that harari i thought brought out and was was prescient about is that he sees the implications of transhumanism and particularly the gene editing, this, this CRISPR technology, 
um, mRNA, uh, all of this, like the, with the vaccine, mm-hmm. that there, necess- there necessarily needs to be a globalist approach to this because if the U.S. would say, you know, we're going to ban, um, uh, I don't know, say stem cell research, but mm-hmm. China's not going to ban it, then you're behind in the U.S. because they're going to be doing things that you're not going to be able mm-hmm. to do. So it means that you're going to end up violating your own ban in order to compete mm-hmm. on this now, mm-hmm. you know, global global economy uh, mm-hmm. in the DNA and the genetic arena. So I thought that was very observant. The scary side is, is that he is very globalist. I mean, he's connected, like you said, with mm-hmm. Schwab. So, you know, there's this whole global endeavor. Now he's wanting to take it in the direction of, and he's advocating it for it to go in the direction of uh, transhumanism, you know, supplanting uh, human biology with technology. So those are well, some, he also some valid concerns. Rec- he also recognizes in his book, uh, he does speak of how it could be abused, how yeah. powerful people could get control of the technology and direct it to their own ends. But they're the and only ones that so have he, it. They're the only ones that have it now because it is so yes. funds intensive. You gotta have deep pockets to yes. do this. Well, and Harari basically comes down, and I think this may have been that you know we need to create uh, a class. It, it, it's all we need to turn it over to the intellectuals. I'm, I'm not sure I would want that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know we need to have an intellectual class of poets and you know scientists to help us understand how we go in the direction of this. So, but ge- genetics is one aspect the second one was nanotechnology mm-hmm. which uh is like having uh, the little mighty nanobot robots going through your body or and fixing things and uh program to to do all of these things uh it's interesting that when you read kurzweil's book and he's writing in 2005 he's very optimistic about the timelines and they have not happened that way he is thinking by the early 2020s, you know, we've got nanobots in our brain and I, we're not anywhere near that to, yeah. to my knowledge. And so, but he also really believes and uh, maybe that's when we get to the strong AI portion, but the nanotechnology is something where we're actually creating little robots to go and fix things and fix disease or even interact with our brains and help our brains. Then the third one is uh, robotics, which is strong AI. It's uh, the idea of artificial intelligence getting to the point where it exceeds human intelligence. Now, he talks in there about how that the IBM computer beat uh, the chess champion. I think it was Gary Kasparov. Kasparov, yeah. And uh, I think it was Deep Blue. Was that the name of the computer? Yeah. And, And Deep Blue did it just by having tremendous number crunching capability and looking at all quickly looking at all possible moves and things, but didn't do it as a human being would do it. And Kurzweil talks about that. And he also talks about some advances that have been made because he said human beings are great at pattern recognition. And now some of the software goes there, there is actually computers that are as good as deep blue or maybe better at chess and they do it with a lot less computing capability because of this pattern recognition. Mm-hmm. So there is uh, this idea of human intelli- uh, of, of machine intelligence, or we would say artificial intelligence, growing to the point where it's sentient and it is 
exceeds human intelligence. And of course, the idea behind that, that Kurzweil and others have is that by that time, we are actually interacting. We have brain implants that are this high artificial intelligence that are in aiding us in processing and such things as that. And of course, coming into that, they also talk about brain scanning. He is uh, really a big believer is that we, we will decode the brain. We will hack the brain. Actually, Harari talks about it, but he probably gets it from, from Kurzweil. We will hack the brain. We will be able to scan it so that our memories and our state of what it is can be eventually uploaded into a computer. And he sees that happening around the middle of the century. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I... Once again, that is based upon the assumption that everything we are is just a biological robot that's just very sophisticated, but can eventually be figured out and hacked. Yeah, and I pulled up, I just flipped in uh, Harari's book, which you'd mentioned earlier, but it applies to this, um, these two classes. (laughs) There's a useless class, people that it's completely socialistic. Uh, but he launched socialism, but there, with regards to the algorithm, uh, he says, organisms are algorithms. Every animal, including homo sapiens Mm -hmm. is an assemblage of organic algorithms shaped by natural selection over millions of years of evolution. The, the calculations are not affected by the materials from which the calculator is built, whether an abacus is made of wood or iron or plastic, two beads plus two beads equals four beads. Hence, there's no reason to think that organic algorithms can do things that non-organic algorithms will never be able to replicate or surpass. Um, as long as calculations remain valid, what does it matter whether the algorithms are manifested in carbon or silicon? And, mm-hmm. you know, that's the trajectory. But I mean, we, no, that's that's totally their idea that we're just uh, and, and that will get into the the philosophical and theological trajectory and where they come from on this, because everything is theological. Everything is philosophical. Yeah. Philosophical is theological. So everything goes back to being theological. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, though. When 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 uh, Kurzweil is talking about smart A.I., he's not talking about it. And and uh, Harari is not really interpreting it now. And the transhumanism movement is not really uh, interpreting smart A.I. as merely external to a human being it's not just assembly line robots you know building cars and wherever um no it is a fusion of biology with smart ai like you're talking about with it yes and they're actually talking about that happening before we get it's the term is actually strong ai which means ai smarter than human beings okay Uh, did you ever see the um did you ever see the the movie Colossus, the, the Forbin Project? I don't think so. Now you've got me watching <laughs> movies. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was 1970, and I, I rewatched the movie. I knew about it, and then I, I found it on a streaming service and rewatched it about, I don't know, uh, a month or so ago. And it's about the, the United States has this supermassive computer that runs all of its defense things, and the Russians have one, too. And so they're trying. And so what happens? They, they get them to talk to each other. So hopefully we'll work out peace. Well, they join together and rule the world. <laughs> <laughs> and they say, if you don't do what we tell you to do, we'll nuke Moscow or we'll, do, we'll nuke, nuke London or we'll nuke New York. And we've got control of all the weapons, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that was just a and this was, what, 52 years ago. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, they're looking at something that will eventually we will have. Uh, Kurzweil is talking about us having implants in our brains long before we get to strong AI. These things are helping us process, helping us see better, helping us and, and all of these things, helping us do things better. But then we get to the point of where the singularity is met. And now we have the capability to transcend everything. And there's no limit. Uh, here's another quote by Harari. He's just a, a, just a, I wouldn't say a gold mine, but he's a mine of quotes. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. For uh, this, you'll love this for 4 billion years, nothing fundamental changed in the basic rule of life. All of life for 4 billion years, dinosaurs, amoeba, tomatoes, humans, all of life is subject to the laws of natural selection and to the laws of organic biochemistry. Now this is about to change. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some God above the clouds, but our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our cloud, the IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, they are now the driving forces of evolution. Mm. These people are serious. This is at a, once again, he's stating these things at a speech before the World Economic Forum, which is the movers and shakers of the world. I believe that Angela Merkel spoke either just before him or just after him. So this is the crowd that he is running in and the people who are listening to him yeah i mean yeah these are the major players across every industry uh ceos uh billionaires (laughs) that's the audience you know this is not (laughs) some guys coming to jacksonville florida in a room of 100 (laughs) people and oh they don't have any clout or influence this is you know, this this sounds like conspiracy theory, Tony. My goodness. <laughs> now, let me you know. Cons- the ter- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no sorry, go ahead. Conspiracy theory is a term that is now used to shut people down. Yeah. Which right. originally, I, my understanding was that was the original intent of the term anyway, to shut people down. Yeah. Well, this is not a conspiracy. They're telling us what they're doing. So, <laughs> Oh, they're exactly. There's no conspiracy they're, they're theory open. on this. They're telling us. Now, uh, the question you ask and um, is... Is this good? You know, we talk about if you read Kurzweil, he will acknowledge that, well, yes, because of the nature of technology, yes, it's only going to be for a certain few who can afford it. But then he talks about how really, though, it's a great for society because you have in every technology, computers, phones, the prices come down, which is that's true. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, I, I'm I've sent messages to a a, a minister friend that I know who's Kenyan who lives in Nairobi, you know, every now and then we swap messages together, you know, and we have the technology and it's spread throughout the whole world, at least in some respects. So the, he has some truth to that, but what he does not take into account because he's writing in 2005 is now we've seen that the Silicon Valley controllers who control the means of information are more than willing to filter information they don't like and prevent it from getting out and promote the information they do like. So they have shown many times that they operate out of a very, uh, out of their own personal self-interest. So can we expect 
just assuming that there, this technology would happen as they said it will happen. I'm not convinced that it will. But assuming that, that they're going to operate in the best interest of humanity when they're not doing so now. <laughs> Wow. Well, first, I'm glad that you saw that sort of censorship because I've seen it too. But that does speak principally to the fact that if this is elitists who take charge of this Mm -hmm. um, and coming from a Christian standpoint, we understand something called depravity. uh, Mm -hmm. This can easily be um, used for nefarious purposes that will accommodate and, and accentuate them and not you know, not the average person. Let me ask you something about no, this. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Well, what I wanted to no, ask ahead. you is because I've read a lot of the stuff that you've sent me articles, the books, of course, and now I've got more, I guess, but <laughs> other than in the world economic forum, Schwab, that, that whole, um, Institute, uh, is not really only advocating this. There, there were forums and there are videos out there where they're talking with Harari. They're talking with some of these other mover and shaker types in, in the transhumanism movement. But is there some agency, some collective? Is there some um, group that is sort of overseeing the development? Because Kurzweil is pointing out this is sort of coming in steps. It's coming in stages. Is there a collective or a consortium that is sort of overseeing this from various disciplines? Have you seen anything on that? I I have not. No, not that I'm aware of. I think you have a variety of people working in their own areas. Now, I think you have perhaps some of the big money people in Silicon Valley funding various portions of it. But no, I see no idea that it's being guided by anybody. I've seen no nothing that I have thought of. Now, you see in the World Economic Forum, you know, that uh, obviously supports that, uh, yeah. at least the, the leadership of that, because, I mean, you don't get on that stage and get 30 minutes to talk like Harari did unless they're liking what you're saying. Exactly. Now, it's interesting that Harari, you read Harari's book. He is very pro-socialist. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. He doesn't just come out. I mean, he. He talks about communism and the commun and Marx and all of these things, and and he almost says like, well, uh, it got shortcut because the capitalists read the book too, you know, and they figured out how to, you know, rather than you know, he, and then I've I've seen a an interview with Klaus Schwab, and in his study, and he has a bust of Lenin back on his shelf. Yeah, somebody pointed out. So these people are very pro-socialist. It's not the socialism of uh, of we want to make everyone equal, the radical communism. It is the socialism of uh, we're going to control everybody and control everything. And so uh, they're I think they're very much into that. Now I don't I don't think there's any central command of it. I think there's a lot of people that are thinking very much the same. And I think this. Davos thing uh, brings in a lot of the leaders of the world. I mean, you look at a lot of the prime ministers, you look at a lot of the uh, people who they've been to Davos and some of the leaders of of the world now were identified as the young leaders in the Davos forum Mm -hmm. 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Macron, Macron, the prime minister of, of New Zealand and Australia and uh, the uh, the new prime minister of uh, the Netherlands, and some of these are all 
I wouldn't say Klaus Schwab disciples, but they are all connected with yeah. the World Economic Forum. Yeah, exactly. In some way. Trudeau in Canada is, you know, yeah, a Trudeau, graduate of. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and you see so, where when you look at just in response to the COVID situation, what those mm-hmm. guys have done with leading their mm-hmm. governments, well, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, you know it's very oppressive. It's it's tyrannical. It's heavy handed statism. Well, that that's why I ask because you know the World Economic Forum is into so many things. It's almost like they're trying to establish themselves to usurp the UN, mm-hmm. which in the U, I mean, most of us I think would agree the UN is horrible. Uh, with well, the UN is the UN agenda. You had the Agenda Twenty One many years ago. And now it's become the 2030 agenda. That's yeah. kind of the new date they're pointing ahead to. So the UN is all in this. But let's get back to, is it a leveler of society? Kurzweil will say it is. Eventually, this will be a leveler of society. But you read Harari, and he's saying, you know, if you, first of all, you read in his book, uh, you know, and you read in his speeches and everything, he's saying, what are we going to do with all these useless people? Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we, as the, at least in the way they see it, as technology advances, we can do more and more with less and less people, and things will be increasingly automated. So we've got all these people that are not trained. That what are we going to do with them? And and Harari says, well, it needs to be a combination of video games and drugs, yeah. basically to control them. And he's that he's open with that. He yeah. just he doesn't deny it. So uh, the question is, is it a leveler of society or is it something for the elites? I don't think there's any question that this is going to be if, at least in their minds, it is something for the elites. Because uh, another book that I told you to read was called The uh, Coming Neo-Feudalism. Right. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. (laughs) I keep adding these books to you. But but that was a fascinating book, and it really interfaces and really intersects with what we're talking about. Even he did have a little section on transhumanism, but it was a small section. But he was just talking about the general trend of things. Now, the way... uh, it's also a different view of history. Uh, there was another book that I mentioned, The Fourth Turning. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the I'm midst sorry, of that. I'm in the midst of that. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and and the author of that, it's Strauss, and I forget the other guy's name, but they mentioned this. So there's two ways. And they wrote this in the late 90s, and I think it's prescient. The It said that there are two ways of looking at history. History is cyclic or history is linear. Mm-hmm. In other words, history runs in cycles. Uh, there are highs, lows, yeah. bad times that resets and all of that, and then we start over again. Or there is just a linear progression. Now, without a doubt, these who are transhumanists see, see history as a linear progression. We build upon what we know now, and we're going to build more, we're going to build more, we're going to build more, and we're going to eventually just take the the line and go straight up, Yeah, you know, and at, at a high angle, eventually we will get to this point. And to me, there's, it's, it's very conceited. It's very arrogant and it's very ignorant of history because if we look at history, history has a way of resetting itself. I mean, let's give an example. The same attitude we see with these people 
in terms of this technology. And Harari even says in his book, we will eliminate war. You know, we will eliminate the need for armies. We will all be about human development. It will all be about making our lives better. And he has this pie in the sky view in his book, Homo Deus, that we are eliminating war. There's no need for war anymore. Well, if you remember in 1928, they had the Kellogg-Briand Pact, Mm -hmm. which outlawed war. Okay, we have now outlawed war. You know, we renounce war as an instrument of national policy. I believe that's what everyone said who signed this document. Well, that's 1928. Well, what happens 10 years later? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You have the greatest war in history. So uh, the idea that our thoughts about how we're going to advance is, is not going to fall prey to the realities of, <laughs> of the world. It's just they are living in a dream world. You know, I mean, uh, whether this 80-year cycle that Strauss talks about, which I think is kind of intriguing, and, I, and but whether that's true or not, but without a doubt, we look at history and there is a cyclic pattern. But based upon you get to a certain point, people get really upset and they get different attitudes and things start happening. Mm-hmm. Look at the uh, World War II generation, then the post-World War II generation. It was very different. You look at the Cold War, you know, we thought oh, we got all these, these two big nations with nuclear weapons pointed at one another. But what we found out after it was all over is that both nations actually had sane people in charge who remembered the last bad war and didn't want to go there again. Yeah. So there is a there is a view of history here that I think is counter to what history says. But I think it goes back to their conceit. We have now figured everything out. We are now the people that have learned how to do things right. And we will now take charge and we will take it to the next step of human evolution. Well, but but let's go let's look at the let's go let's go now to the philosophical under and the theological underpinnings. Can we do that? Sure. There is no concept of God in this. None of this idea of transhumanism. I know the technolo- technological portion of it is very new because we have new technology, but the ideas behind it are not new at all. <laughs> no. You can even take it back to the garden. You will be as gods. Uh, even more recently, uh, I was. Re- if you read, I was reading uh, R.L. Dabney's book, The Sensualistic Philosophy. You don't have to read that one. You don't need to order that one. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) But I read this uh, a couple of years ago, and he was interacting with enlightenment thinkers, people who were totally materialistic in their thinking. There's no humans are just we're just a chance byproduct of evolution. So there were a lot of theories about, well, where does consciousness come from? Where does individuality come from? You know, and they had all these different theories about like a one thought is it's an instant thought and it's carried on by the neurons and all of that. And it's because they they can't have an understanding that we are made by a creator God who has made us in his image. And there is something transcendent about us that cannot be quantified by biology. It cannot be uh, hacked. It cannot be. Uh, in any way enhanced. We are created as God created us. We did not start at a low form and evolve. 
we were created in the highest form that God created us. And if anything has happened, we have devolved due to sin. Right. Now, that's the huge difference between the Christian theological understanding of things and this secular theological understanding of things. We are not the product of mindless evolution. We are the creation of a creator God who made us in his image. Our consciousness, our soul, everything that makes us us is something that cannot will never be able to be quantified by a computer. And so there's their underpinnings are totally secular, they're totally godless. And they really believe it's it's really the lie of the garden. We're going to make ourselves into gods. It's the lie of the garden. It's the it's the new tower of Babel. You know, we're going to yeah. build a a tower, and that's kind of the way they see it. I mean, we see history is repeating itself. But well, what we have always seen in history is that when something begins to happen, there's always some reset. I mean, the Greek Empire didn't last forever. Persians didn't last forever before the Greeks. The uh, Romans didn't last forever. Yeah. You know, things start happening. You know, there's there's there, a lot of it is just, you know, you go through and really it's highlighted in the fourth turning book. But you think about you reach a peak of power and then you get lazy and then you start thinking different ways. And then somebody comes over and attacks you. And there's just a lot of things happening. But these people assume we have now arrived and we figured everything out. There will never be any more wars. There will never be anything else. We'll just go on until we reach the singularity. But history has shown, and really the uh, neo-feudalism book talked about it, sometimes you reach the point where things get so unbalanced that the masses start coming after you with the pitchforks and the torches. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it it is completely atheistic. I mean, one of the quotes I read at the beginning of of the podcast is that, you know, God seems, from Harari, uh, God seems to be making a comeback, but it's a mirage. God is dead. This is the fundamental starting point. And then you throw in the evolutionary aspect of it, and the linear trajectory that they see fits with their system. This is is the only (laughs) way they're able to understand how things Mm -hmm. uh, operate. But this fundamentally is a religious perspective. It's one of the quotes, one of the definitions is that this is a philosophy of life. Harari calls it a new humanism. I would even say it's an old humanism because uh, humanism is human-centered thinking, which is, that goes back to the garden, and that's been humanity from the very beginning after the fall is human-centered thinking. Yeah. And uh, so I don't see anything different in this than that has been around ever since the fall. It's just a new iteration based upon different means of doing things. Yeah. I wanted to point out something that just really struck me because Harari goes through and he he kind of outlines this three stages of history and this linear trajectory kind of view that mm-hmm. you're you're speaking to. He said, and he's speaking about knowledge. He's talking about mm-hmm. what is knowledge. Uh, he says in medieval Europe, the chief formula for knowledge was this: knowledge equals scripture times logic. So we we had a holy book, and we would use human reason to interpret the meaning from that holy book, and that constituted mm-hmm. knowledge. That's medievalism. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, then he goes to mm-hmm. the scientific revolution and he says it proposed a very different formula for knowledge. Knowledge now equals empirical data and mathematics. So you've got that method of dealing with what is called knowledge. But now he is saying humanism offers an alternative. Uh, as humans gained confidence in themselves, a new formula for acquiring, which I thought was an interesting word here, a new formula for acquiring ethical knowledge appeared. And that is this, knowledge equals experiences and sensitivity, which speaks to what you were talking about with Dabney there. Um, it's, uh, it's very subjective. Uh, it's, um, you know, relativistic. It's, it's, very postmodern in the sense that there's no objective truth, but it's kind of contradictory because they're dealing with objective science with regards to DNA and with, you know, genes. And so I I see some irony, some paradoxes there in the way that he's talking about humanism as a subjective. It's all about how you feel. He's even got some pictures in the book there where he talks about, you know, here's what humanism is. Humanism in, in five pictures, I think is what it was called. It's called Humanism in Five Images, and it's just, it is five pictures. If you've got your, your book there, it's uh, page I two, remember reading 234. Which, page 234? Page 234. Humanism in Five Images. Humanist Politics. The Voter Knows Best. Humanist Economics. The Customer is Always Right. Humanist Aesthetics. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Humanist Ethics. If it feels good, do it. And humanist education, think for yourself. Well, this is these are all religious dimensions mm-hmm. that we have we have responses for in Christianity. Well, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, but it's amazing that their new humanity ends up being basically a malleable alignment with whatever's current thinking of the time. Yeah, there's nothing. You know, okay, uh, we're ethical. You know, well, what is ethics? Well, ethics means. Uh, we don't have any biblical basis. So ethics means what does everybody think right right now? Basically yeah. what they do, because they don't go against it. No one is saying, well, uh, it's wrong to chemically change children's bodies to, from being men to women. Nobody's saying that because that would go against the trajectory yeah. of things. But you're right that the only way we can understand this Christianity is the only way to understand what is going on with this. It's the only way to understand life from a theological standpoint. This is inherently very theological. They would never say that. And it is a new religion, even though it does not have the forms of a church or a a creed or anything like that. But it is a new religion. It's a new way of thinking about humanity. And it's very humanistic. It's very me-centered. It's very, um, yeah. Well, let's talk about Christian humanism, quote unquote. <laughs> okay. Christian transhumanism, excuse me. Christian transhumanism. Right, right. And and I do use that with quotes. Christian, quote, Christian transhumanism. Yes. There is actually a Christian transhumanist society uh, association. Christian transhumanism association. And that podcast that you and I listen to, and I've listened to several of them. Uh, comes from that Christian Transhumanism Association. Now, uh, what we found out, if you listen, especially the one we listened to with Calvin Mercer, who was the professor of religion at East Carolina University, and has incidentally written a book called Transhumanism and Christianity. 
or Christianity and Transhumanism. I forget what the title was, which I've ordered and it hasn't come in yet. But you listen to them and you say, this is not Christian at all, <laughs> in a sense of anything traditionally Christian. And it's interesting that they could not, in the course of that podcast, they could not fa- they could not stay away from dealing with fundamentalism, taking a shot at fundamentalists, quote-unquote fundamentalists. Yeah. Well, I, the host, I think, said he came out of that. Or did they both come out of it? They both did. They both were. They yeah, both yeah. Had, it was actually the professor who mentioned it first. And he said he came out of fundamentalism. And then the host said he came out of fundamentalism. Now, they never defined what fundamentalism was. The definition that they seemed to work with was kind of the worst of the worst. You know, we mm-hmm. just take the Bible, we believe it literally, you know, and well, I mean, I believe the Bible literally, but understood within the context and with the interpretation, the proper exegesis, you know, there's in proper genres. Uh, I certainly believe the Bible is true. It's inerrant. But they they could not. I thought it was interesting that they could not not go there, yeah. you know, in all their talk. I thought it was interesting that this, with regard to that, they just seem to uncritically accept anything science does and said, then we must work it into our Christian faith, you know. Exactly. And, and, and I see some of the same stuff, same things happening. And, well, it happened in mainline Christianity many, many well, decades ago, but I'm even seeing it in evangelical Christianity and some evangelical scholars, we just uncritically accept what science says about the origin of life, and we must figure out how to work it into our faith. That's absolutely right. And as I'm listening to these guys, I'm like, well, this this is not Christianity. Now, it's no. it's liberal Christianity, and it's, yes. you know, he made the quote that, you know, uh, fundamentalism was a reaction to modernity, I think is what he said. Um, and there was, well, there was, a, there was a certain... There was a certain truth to well, that. Well, there is. At least in- but the fact is, this this operation, this whole uh, Christian transhumanism, is uh, is likewise a reaction to an inability to find truth in the Word and mm-hmm. to accommodate what the narrative of trust the science tells mm-hmm. them. Uh, so you're exactly right. I agree. Well, and it's, you know, he even talked about, okay, they assume we will eventually have strong AI. We'll assume we'll eventually be able to upload our brains to the, okay, if you upload your brains to the computer, is that a different person than me? And is that now, am I two people now? That, that, uh, and they're, know, they're talking about this, and they even talked about downloading us into into an artificial body and saying that, hey, I can understand this in terms of Paul's writing about the resurrection. About the resurrection. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, the whole mind <laughs> uploading, you know, merging your mind, your, your um, essence, <laughs> I guess, your personality, your memory, uploading it into a computer or some other digitally based uh, platform and then saying, well, that's a form of resurrection because what their, their agenda, what he said is, you know, they're talking about human enhancement and he's talking about radical life extension. That's what he said. Yes. Uh, Okay. We have that in Christ. Uh, It's very radical. We call it eternal life, but this is something completely contrary. Well, and it and it does not deal, and certainly they did not, and certainly Kurzweil and those guys don't, with why we die. Yeah, exactly. We don't die because we've got bad uh, 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 a bad evolutionary algorithm. 
We die because of sin. Right. And, Amen. And the Bible answers this question at the very beginning. And Christian theology, properly understood, answers the question, why we die? And what is the answer to that death? It is not getting a new synthetic body and downloading our brains into it. Personally, because we are created in the image of God and there's this transcendent, the Bible says God placed eternity in our hearts. Mm -hmm. I say they will never be able to do that. You know, well, that was going to be one of my closing questions for you. What do you what do you think about all this? But let me let me go to this just so yeah. people understand. This yeah. is one of the implications. If you do not view Genesis one through three as historical fact, mm -hmm. this is where you will end up. You can call it Christianity, but you've you've jettisoned major, major doctrines of the legitimate faith once for all delivered. I mean, you've you've jettisoned. Uh, the gospel. The gospel starts there in Genesis 3. So if it's only figurative or if it's only poetic, if you adopt that sort of narrative that certainly the mainline denominations, like you said, have, and you see that uh, increasingly in evangelicalism, you can end up here with this kind of notion that you need to upload your, you know, your brain into a digital platform. This goes right back to creation. It's It's fundamentally a misunderstanding of that it certainly does now everyone who rejects the six-day narrative when i certainly believe in the six-day creation but everyone who rejects that or at least sees it as a framework does not go to the evolutionary there's some, no there are some middle grounds but you're right that it creates anytime you do not view it as it is written. Then it creates a problem with the story that the Bible is promoting. Yes, right, right. <laughs> you know that. Um, you know how if if there was not. I mean, the fact that we are now having a debate within evangelicalism over whether there was a historic Adam. Oh. <laughs> I mean that is a that is going on. I'm not saying it is. You know, I don't think anything like that's going on at Southern Baptist seminaries. At least I hope it's not. I don't think it is, but. The fact that we're having this debate, if you don't have a historic Adam, what do you do with Romans 5? <laughs> yeah. What do you do with the fall? What do you do with human sin? Because it makes no sense. How, you know, you, the Bible begins to unravel it, the, the story of, of that we are given. Of course, a lot of these people don't really believe in inerrancy in, in things, so... No, one of the things that Dr. Mercer on that podcast said, I, I wrote this quote down because uh, I'm like, well, here's, here's your problem. But he said, quote, I use psychology to understand religious behavior. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. Yeah, he's a, he is a secularist uh, who I would call him a religionist. Well, in that whole transhumanist podcast, I listened to several of them. There's nothing Christian about it. There's nothing uniquely. There's never mentioned about Christ, except maybe as a philosopher. Now, interestingly enough, on one of the podcasts, they had N.T. Wright, but he did not talk about the transhumanist issues. The whole podcast, I think it was a, it's a phone conversation of about 30 minutes, was about eschatological issues and about, I mean, it was N.T. Wright. It was actually fairly interesting. But it didn't go to that. And N.T. Wright seemed to, as I understood him, sometimes he's hard to 
know exactly what he's saying, yeah. but it seemed to me that he was talking about a true reality of a new heavens and a new earth. And he, he did say, and I think he's correct on that, that, that there has been where we just talk about going to heaven without the idea of understanding that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. But I, I did not detect, at least as I understood it, that he was just talking about we're just going to make ourselves better and better and we're going to make a heaven on earth. I, I seen, sensed, at least the way I understood him, that he seemed to be talking about there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that God is going to bring about. That's yeah. at least the way I understood him. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't hear that one, but uh, I mean, that would be consistent with, uh, with what I think we would understand Christ in, you know, Revelation 21, I think, saying, right. behold, I'm making all things new. Right. Uh, so there is that, yes, you know, we see Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, and then Genesis 20, or mm -hmm. Revelation 21, you know, uh, mm -hmm. John sees a new heaven and a new earth. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, this is this is the reality. This is the spiritual, biblical truth that we have. Well, I I just think we need to evaluate this based upon their worldview, and and the quote unquote Christian transhumanism is just piggybacking on the world's the worldview of a Kurzweil. I mean, they're basically adopting that worldview and trying to make it work with a Christian Christianity from a philosophical standpoint. Well, and I think that's part of what is so nuanced about this technology that's being developed. Because like, you know, we talked about Musk. Yeah, they are developing some uh, some technologies that will help people with very serious maladies. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, we, we hope that comes to pass. The Lord provides yes. us with the ability to do these things. Even an unbeliever like, you know, Musk, there's common grace that the Lord's extended, and we can benefit from that. The problem is, where's the threshold when that technology gets out of control? How do you, how do you say, well, you know, now I'm going to have a USB in my head, and they can plug me in wherever <laughs> I want to, or wherever they want me to be plugged in, and put into me whatever they want? I think it's going to be as as some of this moves forward, and I do believe it will move forward, I don't think they will attain the place they want to attain of brain scanning and uploading. And I'm now up in a computer cloud, you know, and then I download, they make my synthetic body and I download it. Now I'm walking around with my same person. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think by any means it will happen because I think they vastly overestimate their intelligence and they vastly misunderstand that we're created in the image of God. We're made by God. Yeah. And there is a portion of us that is more than just biology and more than just neurons firing on and off. Yeah. Uh, there's a soul. There really is a soul. There really is a personality that God knit together. We are unique creations of God. Uh, Psalm 139. He knit us together in the womb. He knew, saw our unformed substance. So all of these things. But the question does there's going to be more and more human enhancement that we're going to see. And then the question is, what do we do? When you asked me to think about this, I went back to myself and my wife about over 20 years ago, we were dealing with infertility mm -hmm. and that we um, were not having children. Now, since God has blessed us with two boys and uh, but we went through several years, about seven years of it. And, one of the options out there is in vitro fertilization. Right. 
And I was actually interviewed by, uh, for some reason, the Birmingham News at the time, we lived in Birmingham area, uh, interviewed my wife and me and actually came out, took pictures and did a Sunday culture feature with us. Wow. You know, yeah, it was, uh, I'm sure my wife has the picture. It's funny that they, uh, how that a secular newspaper, which was actually a conservative newspaper, but it was still secular. Yeah. How they do things. You know, we were very upbeat and positive about it all. And they came and took pictures of us and they chose the picture that made us look like the two saddest sacks you've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, the question I talked to them in the interview that I did on the phone about our faith. And, you know, I, in getting back to this in vitro fertilization thing, First of all, it's very expensive. Is that a wise use of your resources? Secondly, they always fertilize multiple eggs, but don't implant them all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an ethical issue. Mm-hmm. And so we just decided that if God did not choose to allow us to have children, then once we got through seminary, we would adopt. And so I'm not going to judge anyone else, but I'm just saying, I think that Christians are going to have to wrestle with some of these things. Now, Christians have had in vitro fertilization. Some have done it with the multiple eggs. Some have only done it with one egg and implanted it and things like that. So there, I don't want to just make this a one size fits all, but we're going to have to deal with some of these questions. Yeah. And it's really going to come down where we are going to need to examine our hearts and get good advice. But I, there were just things, my wife and I, in this infertility issue, there were places that we both decided we could not go as Christians. Yeah, And so uh, I believe that things like a, a cochlear implant, now that's, that's, the, that's like a hearing aid done in a different way. You know, the hearing aid basically amplifies the noise as it goes into the eardrum. The yeah. cochlear implant bypasses the eardrum and goes straight to the cochlea. Yeah. You know, but still, it's it's another form of a hearing aid. Yeah, you know? but that's so, that's right. not altering your biology. No, it's not altering who you or are. Or your essence. The, well, I w- Yeah, even if I got a bionic arm, you know, I mean, people do have prostheses. Sure. You know, they've lost an arm. And, okay, let's say we get so that I can do all of these things with my arm. Well, that's still, it's not changing me as a person. No, exactly. You wouldn't look at, at someone and not be able to identify them as human, but if they're, no. <laughs> if they're uploaded to a digital platform <laughs> for the purpose of super enhancement life extension, what do you call this? Well, you, you don't call it, you know, uh, well, human it's, it's being. Based, I mean, but, some of this stuff has been around for a while. Uh, you know, Ted Williams, the great baseball player, now, I don't think he had anything to do with it, uh, but when he died, one of his sons had his head put in a cryogenic facility. As yeah. far as I understand, it's there, and it's in a cryogenic freeze. Yeah. His head is. And the idea behind it is that one day they'll be able to download his brain and put him in a computer or fix him and put his head to a body. That's kind of the idea yeah. behind it. And that was many, many years ago. So these ideas were out there. I mean, uploading. There's a, I saw an article that's a, there's a company that's a startup company about this, even though they can't anywhere near it. Yeah. But they're talking about freezing the brain. It's another brain freeze place, uh, freezing the brain and being able then to wait until decode that point. It yeah. And upload it to a computer in a digital format. And uh, that person will live again. Mm-hmm. Right. Just as you said, it's not the hope of the resurrection that we have. 
No. We know we're going to live again. Exactly. Well, and to, to your comment earlier, you know, you're not going to be able to, there is no gene for the Imago Day. What makes no. us human, made in God's image, there's not a gene for that. There's not an algorithm for that. We no. don't understand this. This is a mystery. I mean, you know, theologians for 2,000 years have been arguing what what is actually Imago Dei constituted mm-hmm. of. So yes. there's debate about that. There's certainly not a gene for it that can be no. manipulated. So one of the things, you know, as we were talking about this back and forth over the time that we've been discussing it is we got to get back to scripture with this and you already commented i don't think they're going to do this well i don't think so either scripture says uh, ecclesiastes 8 8 actually people need to read 8 chapter 8 8 through 13 i won't read it all now but verse 8 says no man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death we know this Hebrews tells us this, you know, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. This is where I would go and argue Mm -hmm. this is not going to succeed. Now, will they make, will they make some progress that is threatening to human biology? Oh yeah. And whether conspiracy theory or not you're dealing with the mrna now we've we've made Mm -hmm. billions of people be injected with really a novel vaccine that's built out of this crispr technology so will they make progress in in pursuing this well yeah they'll make progress but they're ultimately not going to prevail because they can't (laughs) you know they can't isolate what makes you human and it's more than just biology to the to that Christian transhumanist guy that was talking uh, and the, the professor was saying, okay, if you upload your brain or, or no, he was talking about strong AI. You have the super AI that is super intelligent. Can it relate to God? Can now? it relate to God? Right. You know, and it's like, how can you as a professing Christian theologian, which he claimed he was not see that we are made in the image of God that is, a smart AI may be able to do a lot of things, but it's not going to be alive. It's not going to be human. Yeah, sentient. Yeah, it's going. It's not going to be sentient. I don't care what they say, and I don't care how smart it is at interacting. It is not going to be made in the image of God. But these people don't even think in terms of image of God. Yeah, you know, they're just even the the, the tra- Christian transhumanism guys. They fully accept evolution. They fully accept everything the science says. And, you know, we're in this age of trust science where everybody, you know, uh, uses and science is actually used to promote a certain narrative. But what is science? Science is human knowledge. Mm-hmm. It says trust human knowledge that will fly in our current age because we have so detached ourselves as a nation and as a world, Western world from a biblical worldview. It would never have flown 100 years ago or even 50 years ago where people would have said, well, wait a minute, that just doesn't make any sense. A uh, hundred years ago, it certainly would not have flown. But now with a humanistic, detached from biblical revelation, saying trust the science, it, it, it carries weight. Mm-hmm. You know, when people say trust the science and I listen to it and I said, that's crazy, I'm not going to trust the science. I, look, I, <laughs> I, was, I was trained in science. I don't want to just think that I am not. Uh, I was trained in science and 
I'm, I'm a chemistry major. I've done graduate study in chemistry. Science, science today is heavily dependent. Now, I'm not talking about your repeatable science, you know, making aspirin or making a variety of things where you can repeat the observations and you can do all of that. Tremendous things are done with science and the scientific method. But there's a lot of larger issues, science, that are based upon theory and based upon presuppositions. Mm -hmm. Just recently, the Webb telescope took some pictures, the furthest pictures ever been taken, and they say, oh, this is a star dying. Or, you know, they'll look at certain areas and well, this is a, a, a place where stars are being born. They have no idea if that's <laughs> what it is. That, but their theory says this is what should be in their in their theory, and they base it upon their theory. They base it upon the presuppositions they bring to everything. And so, therefore, they determine it. They extrapolate from the presuppositions. They they have not observed any. We've only been looking at the stars for a couple of hundred years. They've never seen a star being born. They've never seen a star dying. Yeah. Now, we have seen some flashes that are supernovas and things like that. My point is, there's a lot of things that get promoted as, oh, yeah, we know what that is, when they really don't know what it is, but it fits the theory. So therefore, and everyone accepts the theory and is bought into the theory, just like evolution. People have accepted the theory and bought into it. So then everything is interpreted based upon an evolutionary framework. So summarize the whole thing for us. Is it is this inherently evil? Well, it's it's inherently human. It's inherently humanistic. It's inherently man-centered. So therefore, it is inherently fallen. Yeah. So yes, in that sense. Okay. I mean, it's it's as fallen. It's no more fallen than say 150 years ago, or 200 years ago, reading some secular philosopher who's defying God and all of these things. Is it any more evil than that? No. I would say no, but it is evil because it's humanistic. It's it's a product of fallen humanity. It rejects the biblical revelation that man is a unique creation of God. It rejects the idea that our problems are due to uh, the fall into sin and our problems are due to sin. And so, therefore, since it rejects the problems, it re also rejects the solution, which is Christ and the new creation that we that God offers in Christ. Mm -hmm. Amen. We have that our problem is alienation from God. We have a fallenness due to our sin, and that reconciliation is in God's Son, whom he sent in humanity. He, he was fully God. He became fully man, and... He lives the perfect life. He lives the life we could not live in our sinfulness. He dies a death that's a substitution for those who will believe in him. And so then with the promise, his resurrection is the promise of our resurrection. That is the eternal life that he that 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 is offered us. And yes, it is an unending life, but it is a life in Christ. Not a life in Kurzweil or Kurzweil's computer. I th that is absolutely amen to all of that. Because uh, I was thinking, you know, is this evil? Um, well, certainly, because the premise it starts from is completely anti-God. It's atheistic. <laughs> yes. It's, you know, it's materialistic, Darwinistic, whatever. Uh, this is Ephesians 2. They, they have no hope and they're without God in the world. Yes. But they still yes. have this fear of death. And the only thing that's going to conquer that is the grace of 
the gospel, the grace of Christ in his gospel. That's that's what Andrew Torba said. It was interesting in that interview that he had on Steve Bannon's. He was talking about the Silicon Valley people. He's talking about their fear of death. He said they have no hope in Christ. And he was talking about Christ. Yeah. Torba was. And he said they have do not have this hope of that the resurrection and this hope in Christ. So this is just a new Tower of Babel. I mean, there's been many of them throughout history. Of course, there was only one big Tower of Babel. Yeah. And, you know, God God intervened in a great way at that moment. And I, uh, who knows how God has intervened throughout history that we don't specifically say, have biblical revelation to say, okay, God intervened here. It, it's just another Tower of Babel. It's just another product of humanity's obsession with itself it goes back to the garden you shall be as gods and i think uh it that has been endemic to humanity ever since the the garden you shall be as gods the desire to be gods that's what they tried to do with the tower of babel you look at all the ancient religions uh, just saw we were in at the new orleans museum of art uh this past week and they had a egyptian exhibit oh and it was really nice. It was really amazing. You see all this art and things that were made 3,500 years ago, just tremendous craftsmanship. But they had a lot about Nefertari's tomb and the journey to the afterlife and their belief in life and all of that. So even then, 35, 33, 30, 3,200 years ago, they're trying to think of living forever. And they're thinking about life and, and eternity, although they're not thinking of it in a godly standpoint. So this is just part of the human sinful existence. Well, to reject God and to try to create a new tower for ourselves. So that's all this is. It's been done many times in the past. And uh, after we get through this iteration, if the Lord tarries, there'll be others. Yeah. Yeah, it is exactly what you said earlier from Ecclesiastes. He's written eternity in our mm-hmm. hearts. We know right. that. Uh, and there's a great fear of that. And there's also the reality that, you know, we're going to die and face judgment. We all know that. Yes. Uh, yes. And we suppress that truth, like Paul says in Romans. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we suppress it right. in unrighteousness. So the Lord may be giving over a lot of people in this movement. He may be giving them over in a judgment sort of way. So uh, we need to be aggressive with uh sharing the truth. Absolutely. Uh, this is an opening for the gospel. It's, you know, so much of our recent American history, there's a lot of cultural Christianity, but that's kind of going away. And while that's not necessarily good, I don't celebrate the cultural forms, le- Christian forms leaving our society. I don't think that's something to be celebrated. But at the same time, the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. Yeah, yeah. Out of darkness, light. Yep. How it always yeah. happens. Post tenebras. <laughs> Lux. Uh, yeah, Lux. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, brother, thank you. You, you see, you are the expert on this. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. I and don't you've know. just proven it. So, uh, well, the, I, we have only scratched the surface. Well, there is really a lot more to be said. Yeah. But uh, I appreciate you uh, taking time to do this. And we've been talking about it forever. And yeah, I know. I'll be getting more books and I'll. I'll be, I'll be texting you with questions. Well, what does this mean? <laughs> well, I really enjoyed it. I appreciate your guiding the discussion, and you've done a lot of research yourself, and I can appreciate your contributions. Well, 
Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And it's good to see you again. Good to see you. Have a great day. And that concludes this episode of The Bud Zone. The Bud Zone podcast is a member of the Christian podcast community where you can find scores of biblically sound podcasts for your edification and encouragement. Go to christianpodcastcommunity.org to discover more. You are now leaving the Bud Zone. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And just a reminder, no doctrines have been harmed during the recording of this show.